outstanding on here, and I know we talked about it um, at least off air numerous times where Lamar Jackson is the NFL's equivalent to Giannis Antetokounmpo in the NBA. Granny, I understand Giannis has won a championship. Lamar has, but the similarity between the two is this. Everyone, all of these media experts and everyone um, that that quantifies themselves as a football aficionado, they always talk about the things that Lamar Jackson isn't good at. We understand that Lamar Jackson isn't the best passer. We are, but I also can come back there by saying Lamar Jackson also hasn't had the best weapons around him. Like his best receiver was Hollywood Brown. And, and no offense to him, but Hollywood Brown's like 5'8". He's not going to make up, like, he's not the type of guy that makes up for deficiencies of your quarterback. Because not all quarterbacks are going to throw amazing balls every time. Sometimes you need a, a receiver to make to make the adjustment to make the quarterback look good. Just like sometimes you need a quarterback to make a throw to make a receiver look good. He hasn't had his best weapon has been his tight end. And you see what he looks like when he actually gets the ball to Mark Andrews. He's super efficient. So I think people are have always disrespected. I mean, even the day that he got drafted, the fact that there is a meme that shows him and his mother basically asleep at the NFL draft, that shows how disrespected he's been from the moment he stepped on, stepped in the NFL. So I highly agree with this. Yeah, 100% believable. And like, kind of to your point, it's like everybody wants to talk about, like you mentioned, what he can't do. I believe he has a 37-12 and 12 record starting. Prior to getting hurt last year, he had never, and I mean never, lost to an NFC team. Meaning he has beaten some of the best teams the NFC had to offer. He beat the 49ers the year they went to the Super Bowl. He beat the uh, Seahawks that year when it looked like Russell's on the MVP track. I don't want to hear it. Like, it'd be one thing if he wasn't, quote-unquote, a great passer, but they weren't winning games. Baltimore still finds a way to win games. When he started the first, what, six, seven weeks, I think we're, what, five and two, he looked like he was having another MVP caliber year. So just because he's not doing it in the quote-unquote conventional way that everybody expects him to, no, y'all are haters. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Let's talk about a guy who nobody really hates, and that's Monty Williams, who has agreed to a multi-year extension to remain the head coach in Phoenix. Congratulations to him. But let's talk about a guy who recently departed a team after signing a bit of an extension, and that's DeJounte Murray. Recently, he got into it on Instagram with a fan who said, at DeJounte Murray, I doubt, but we will see. Just wish you could have been the one to stay and we build around. And you, Lonnie and Kelton and Vassell, but you wouldn't commit. Wish you the best. To which DeJounte replied, the way that system's set up, you're going to be losing for the next 15 years. Problems are bigger than basketball. The fan replied, bye, fly little birdie. Good luck getting to the second round. At least we got the picks and we're building around Keldon. To which DeJounte said, the way that system's set up, you're going to be losing for the next 15 years. Problem bigger than basketball. That's that's some pretty harsh words to say, especially about a former team. But do you think that DeJounte has a point about the Spurs and how their best days 
are not going to be coming anytime soon? I hate to say it this way because it's going to talk, it's going to essentially me kind of belittle my favorite coach of all time and Greg Popovich. Mm-hmm. But I think that the thing, a big issue that hinders the Spurs is they need a new head coach. The way that Pop has coached, and not even the way that he's coached, but just it's time for a fresh face to lead their team. You need to um, find someone that is more suited to coach the game that is played in today's NBA. Because if you think about it, the Spurs have been that team, that one team in this version of the NBA that zagged instead of zigged. They've been the team that hasn't um, looked for high three-point shooting players. They've been the team that looks for guys that are prominent in the mid-range. I mean, even DeJounte Murray himself, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's a he's a mid-range to um, a mid-range and either type of player. He can occasionally knock down a three. But that's the, I think that's the thing that he's alluding to is that Greg Popovich hasn't changed his methods of, like, the way that you score points um, like everyone else in the NBA. Granny, I hate the 300 um, style of play that the NBA has become. I personally don't like it, but I think in order to win today's game, you have to kind of um, you kind of have to succeed and like put yourself in this same category of like, hey, we're going to be a high volume three point shooting team, and when we make them, that's when we win. When we don't make them, that's when we lose, and that's kind of been the blueprint for today's NBA. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head. And I like you mentioned, like, nobody wants to, like, bash Coach Pop just because, I mean, he's done so much for the game and has so much success. But realistically, I mean, the Spurs just aren't growing with the times. Like like you mentioned, like, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, the three and pop game either. But, unfortunately, it's what the NBA is today. And the Spurs – and I think Coach Pop, I think this is kind of, like – the bitter end of being such a successful coach is you've had so much success over the years. You think that you can just keep replicating the same thing and it's just going to work instead of recognizing that the league is changing and evolving from what helped make you so successful. And I think that the Spurs necessarily have not tried to do that, or at least not under coach pop. And so instead of that, they keep having the same problems and keep showing those signs of mediocrity, especially because it's not like they're pulling in superstar players. Like one thing about the Spurs is, they were the type of team to have homegrown guys and breed stars, the Tim Duncans, Manu, Tony, Kawhi Leonard. But now they're not doing as well of a job as developing those star players. And it's not like they're really a free agent draw. And so because of that, yeah, I I hate to say it as well, but I do think that they do need a shakeup with regards to that front office and then the coaching staff to really kind of make them successful. All right, let's go ahead and talk some free agency stuff. Uh, reports came out last week that the Utah Jazz have been talking to teams about a potential trade for 35-year-old point guard Mike Conley, who is due to make 22.7 mil uh, this upcoming season. Rebuild mode seems to be in effect. So, Ethan, let's say that Mike Conley actually is moved. What team do you think will be the best fit for him? Um, best fit for Mike Conley. 
it's hard for me to say because his contract is so high, yeah. honestly. But a place that I think he could work could be could be a Lakers. I'm sorry, after last year, I don't want nobody over the age of 33 on my bench. But but I mean, look, if we end up trading Russ, I mean, okay. But it's Lakers could make sense. I can't even say on a nostalgia trip wanting him back in Memphis. I just don't think he would fit this new Memphis team at all. And also, like you said, with the money, it's hard to really find a spot for him. Apparently, there were talks between them and the Cavs about a potential Colin Sexton for uh, Mike Conley move. And I think that that could work. That's a team that's infused with use, but also having kind of that older veteran has helped them out, kind of like what Rondo did for him last year. So I, I think the Cavs could make some sense. All right, speaking of some reunions, though, the Charlotte Hornets are reportedly interested in bringing back Kimball Walker. I think that this would be a nice idea, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it would be cool. Um, he's the type of guy, like, Charlotte, he's the type of team, they're young, they're exciting, but they need, like, a bit. And Kimball could be their bit. Obviously, we know he won't be starting, but he could be a nice piece to come off the bench. Yeah, I can see that as well. And just he knows the system. He's been there for a while. They're a worst point guard you can bring in. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some recent news. This came out yesterday. Apparently, it seems that Draymond Green wants the max. A max deal for him would be five years, 164 mil. However, it seems that the Warriors are not exactly in the rush to give him a max extension. So, this is a two-part question. One, do you feel like he deserves a max from the Warriors? And two, will we actually see Draymond Green leave his beloved Warriors? Do I think he deserves a max contract? I'm actually going to say yes. And the reason being is because um, when he's been healthy, he's been an integral part of their team. He's been a key part of their championship runs. And granted, he doesn't have the um, normal levels of production of someone that you would think deserves a max contract. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a firm believer in you, you give the guys that have stood through tried and true and you've gone to war with their proper the proper money. And I do think he deserves it. Do I think he's going to leave Golden State? No way. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't remember what athlete we were talking about this with, but it's kind of a situation of if anybody else was talking about giving Draymond a max contract, we'd be like, no, that doesn't make sense. But because it's the Warriors, a team that he's become such an integral part of and how important he has been to the organization and the dynasty that they've created, Hell yeah, give him a max contract just because it's Draymond. But if it was anybody else, I think we'd both be like, no. But Warriors and Draymond Green, I mean, it'll just be weird seeing him not in not in the blue and yellow. So I think that they, I think eventually they'll make something happen. But talking about trying to make things happen, the Boston Celtics have entered the Kevin Durant sweepstakes uh, where they reportedly offered a trade package that included Jalen Brown, uh, Derek White in a draft pick to the Nets, but how? But the Nets ended up saying no. Following the announcement of uh, him, his name being brought up in a trade package, uh, Jalen Brown tweeted out, shaking my head. 
And it's been a bit of a firestorm since then. Questions regarding Draymond, I'm sorry, not Draymond, Jalen Brown. And if he should be, take the opportunity to be the star player in Brooklyn. If the Celtics made a mistake, actually rocking the vote between their relationship and and, uh, Jalen Brown. It's been a lot going on. But Ethan, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like Jalen Brown has a right to feel disrespected by Boston? Do you think Boston is making the right move, possibly trading him for KD? Where do you stand on this? Uh, I obviously think Jalen Brown has the right to feel disrespected because he has the argument to say, like, hey, with me and the core that we've had, we've gone with, we made it to the finals. So we have a puncher's chance. We've proven that we can make it to the um, to the plateau, to the mountaintop. We didn't win it, but we proved that we could have we could get there. But I also think that when you're think when you're in the business of winning championships, you have to think about it from this standpoint. It's like okay, we made it there with Jalen Brown. We didn't win it. Yeah. And what can we do to? put us in a position to win it when you have a guy in Kevin Durant who is a top 10 player in this NBA and he wants out of out of the team he's currently on. He's the type of guy that you can add to the um, add to Jay, um, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Robert Williams. He's the type of guy that you can bring in and potentially win a championship. Yeah, and that's why it kind of begs the question of where do you see your championship window if you're Boston? Do you feel like you have time to kind of grow with the young duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? If so, then I mean, try to make it work. Try to put another piece around them that you feel like can help you get over the hump. But if you feel like you're in a bit of a rush, especially because you did just leave the finals and you don't know when you're going to get back. I mean, by all means, I understand wanting to go after a player of KD's caliber. Now, do you think that KD would fit in Boston? I mean, yeah, I think because the thing of it is, you you have to you are you've been playing with two ball dominant guys in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and the thing with KD is he's been more at this point in his career he's been more prevalent to be a passer. He's a guy that you can um you can bring in. He can make plays on the ball. He's also really capable of making plays off the ball. So it's kind of like a seamless transition. And he's also been a guy, since he played at Golden State, he's a guy that you can integrate into a system and it can work. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And let's talk the Curry brothers. We It's the tale of two families. I mean, you got Steph Curry, who is coming off of his fourth NBA championship first finals MVP and then you got Seth Curry who is a lethal shooter in his own right but has not had the same uh playoff success as his brother when asked about the possibility of the two teaming up this is what Seth had to say he said I wouldn't be against it but it's definitely not my preferred choice to be on the same team as him definitely not right now he added I've thought about it as people bring it up but to me personally I enjoy kind of being away from him trying to create my own path and do my own thing so believable or buffoonery we will eventually see the Curry brothers on the same team I think it's believable I think they both enjoy like those moments where they get to have their similar rivalry and it's a nice matchup where they always end up guarding each other but I think at some point they're going to be on the same time. 
Yeah, I think so too. Just because, I mean, especially when I said the Warriors win another ring over the next couple of years, I could see Seth want to be a part of that. Or at least if he really feels like things are working out well in Brooklyn or wherever he ends up, I could see. And then let's be honest, Steph has the pull to make it happen. If he really wanted Seth Curry on that team, Seth would be there. So I think we'll see it eventually. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about Zion Williamson, who we all know has the potential to be one of the best players in the NBA. Recently on his contract, um, it was announced that he has a clause in it that is a weight clause. In order for him to get his money, uh, he, it will require his weight and body fat percentage to add up to less than 295 pounds. Failure to meet this could reduce his guaranteed money. This is going to be a bit of a two-parter. So let's just start off with the contract. Believable or buffoonery, Zion Williamson will be able to maintain his weight. I'm going to say buffoonery. Nothing against him. I just feel like it's been a struggle so much so far. I feel like he's going to slip up at some point. I'm going to say believable. And the reason I say believable is because, A, number one, this contract. They're yeah. putting their clause in with that affecting his money. He's going to take it more serious. And two, because of his weight, he had an injury where he didn't play at all last season. And that's something that also could potentially affect his, his money. So with those two things, I think he's going to take it seriously. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I have heard reports that I have seen stuff like he's actually hired a nutritionist and he's been in the gym. He's lost a ton of weight. So I think with those two things, he's going to take it more serious. We shall see. All right, and then the second part, I think everybody kind of acknowledges that when on the court, Zion Williamson is one of the more dominant young guys in the league, so much so that personal chef for Zion had this to say with regards to this upcoming season. Uh, the focus is definitely getting him into tip-top shape. My boy says he wants league MVP this year. I see it. I believe it. I believe Zion is going to be the face of the NBA once LeBron retires. I see it. I believe it. Just getting him in great health. And he's in great health now. But once the season starts, he's going to be in even better health. So, believable or buffoonery, Zion Williamson will end up being a top three MVP candidate this year. I'm going to say no. Reason being is you still have guys that are more established that are um, that we know whose teams are going to be in better position. Guys like Joel and B. You can even say a guy like Ja, who isn't who was in the same draft class. Like Ja was on the outside in looking at MVP status, but if Ja um, keeps the Grizzlies at the same position as being the second best team in the West this year when it's a tougher conference, including Zion's Pelicans, that could potentially catapult him to the top three spot. What I will say is, I think if you add a healthy Zion to the team that's in New Orleans right now, they are going to make a drastic change in um in the t in the number of wins that they're going to have, like I can see them having double digit wins because you have you essentially have a big three in CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Zion, and those guys if they mess well because Zion game he could play very well off of CJ because you can run pick and rolls and CJ can run the pick and roll and he can get to that mid range and pull up or he can make a pass to Zion and it's basically a guaranteed bucket. 
So, but I don't see him in the top three as far as the MVP. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's buffoonery too. Pretty much for what you just said, I don't think that his team is going to win enough games to really put him in that conversation. I think that they can be at best like the fifth seed in the West, but I don't think that's going to be enough to really put him in unless he has some crazy year like we've seen from Nikola Jokic, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think more so his team overall is what's going to be holding him back as opposed to his overall play. All right, last piece of NBA news before we make our SummerSlam predictions. Paul Anthony Towns got real, real talkative at the team's press conference where he made two very interesting statements. So instead of a believable or buffoonery, it's going to be a question of what's more likely. Uh, let's start off with the first comment with regards to Rudy Gobert trade. He said, it's go time. You know Rudy's trade happens and there's no more excuses now. It's championship or bust. The second interesting comment was with regards to how he and Anthony Edwards can become the best duo in the NBA. He said, go out there and play at the level that hasn't been seen since Shaq and Kobe. So, Ethan, what's more likely, the fact that the Timberwolves become a legitimate title contender or that Cat and Ant establish themselves as the next lethal duo similar to Shaq and Kobe? Being honest, it's the latter. I can see see Ant and Cat being a lethal of a duo or close to a lethal duo to Shaq and Kobe. A lot of it, in my opinion, comes from the aspect of life. Anthony Edwards is a supremely talented kid. Like, he has all the talent and athleticism in the world. Cat, I think Cat has reached, Cat will never be Shaq, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think that Anthony Edwards is a generational talent. And the thing I feel like that held them back last year is they're still treating Cat like he's their best player. Like he's the like he's their best player when in all honesty, I think it is Anthony Edwards. And I think one of the reasons why the only thing that I feel like is holding Anthony Edwards back in some instances is his shot selection. Sometimes he settles for jumpers where he can just easily get to the rim because this man is six five, two hundred and thirty pounds. He's huge. And he has leaping ability. Like I went to the um I went to the couple of the playoff games when they when we played Minnesota this year in the playoffs and I was sitting in the nosebleed and you can substantial you can see how substantially larger Anthony Edwards was to everyone else out besides except for Dylan Brooks. And he's your two guard. But I do think that they could like they could become like one of the next dynamic duos in the NBA. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you on that. Um, Yeah, I think that this past year in the playoffs really showed, for anybody who wasn't totally sure of it, that Ant was their best player. I mean, there'll be times when Cat was a non-factor, especially in that series with the Grizzlies. However, Ant was going blow for blow. Like, he was really carrying that team. And though, of course, it didn't lead to a series win, I think that it just showed how talented Ant is. Not saying he's going to be Kobe, or anything close to Kobe, but he has the talent to really be effective, and I think that that can help carry Cat, who obviously is not Shaq. But all right, let's go ahead and make our SummerSlam prediction, starting off with Logan Paul versus The Miz. I love The Miz. I want The Miz to win. 